Good morning. Isn't it a beautiful, sunshiny day out there? Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. People from every nation and
Thank you. 
Father, it is our prayer that your kingdom and your will would come on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray, Father, that you will help us to be people who want what you want and desire what you desire, that we might be an influence of your kingdom in this world. Thank you for being present with us today. Be glorified in our worship, and we ask this through Jesus, our reigning and reappearing King. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. So there's a couple things I want to uh, mention that are in your bulletin. There are a couple of inserts. One about a uh, ministry opportunity that you can be involved in with helping with Children's Church uh, over the summer months if you're going to be here. Uh, it's a great opportunity to uh, love our children, to help them learn things about God. And you see the, the uh, sign up there and various places that you can, uh, ways that you can be involved in that ministry. Also, next Sunday, uh, we are uh, honoring our college graduates. Uh, A couple of them will be sharing in each of our uh, Sunday services. And afterwards, we're hosting a potluck dinner in their honor. And that will be not just for the grads, but for uh, college students and and all of the the rest of us as well. So uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that. You can see the insert in the bulletin to sign up. And that just simply helps us have a feel for how much food to prepare. And uh, we appreciate and hope you'll be a part of that. As we move forward next week, I do want to just mention to you uh, how uh, how uh, appreciative Cindy and I are of uh, your support of us of the pastoral vote last week. Thank you. Uh, we have uh, enjoyed our time here, and we look forward to more and more years of working together and serving together. You all mean the world to us. Thank you, and uh, we look forward to serving with each other uh, in the coming years. And uh, pray that God will do more than we could dream or imagine. As we uh, continue to work as his people in this place of Houghton. John's going to share with the youth group about the youth group this morning. Good morning. As Wes said, our ministry spotlight this morning is focused on the youth ministry. And I'm glad for the opportunity to say thank you to you as a congregation uh, for the thousands of ways that you love and support and walk through life with our young people. And it's really obvious uh, through the weekly volunteers that we have and people who come once a month and flip pancakes and people who bake cookies once in a while for us. And and also, people are constantly stopping me and saying, how can we pray for you and for the youth group? And I'm just really grateful. We we feel that deeply. Um, And uh, Andrew is going to talk a little bit about the youth group today. Andrew's a freshman at Fillmore, and he likes skateboarding and basketball and and the French horn. And so, he's going to talk. Uh, good morning. Uh, I've been attending youth group for the past three years, 
And youth group is important to me because it has given me a chance to learn about Christ with my friends and my peers. Uh, this week, we'll be, or in two weeks, we'll be participating in World Vision's 30-hour payment. Please uh, cue the video. So uh, on May 4th and 5th, we'll be fasting for 30 hours and doing project work around the church. Our goal this year for 30-hour famine is to raise $4,000. To reach this, we're asking you to give at least $40, which will feed one child for a month. Uh, Make checks payable to World Vision. Two other things we are doing for 30-hour famine are on Friday, May 4th. In the evening, we will be collecting canned food items in Houghton. On Saturday, May 5th, there will be a car wash at the church from 1 to 4.30 p.m. So look for us on Friday. Bring your car to church and help us raise $4,000. Thank you. Yeah, go, ahead and, go ahead and run that video while we're leaving.
Holy Father, we pour out our praise to you today. We give you thanks that you are the great God who creates and loves and transforms. We come before you in worship and adoration. Father, we come to you asking for you to work in us, to continue your transforming, life-giving grace to us. And we come today, Father, acknowledging our need for you. We come to you today, Lord, and, and we confess our sins. We know, even just this week, how often we have fallen short of your desires That we have chosen our own way instead of your way. We've become more enamored with self-interest than with self-giving. Forgive us. Father, we come today asking for your grace in our lives and in our world. Father, we pray for all today who are grieving. Pray for Dan Moore and his family, the death of his mother, for the family of Hudson Hess, for others who are grieving. We pray for your comforting presence in each of their lives, their hearts, their minds, every part of their being. Father, we pray for all who are struggling with health issues. We pray for John Christensen, Leonard Watson, Florence Tuber. Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, Tim Nichols. Pray for Bob Brown, Louise Princell, Nancy Cole, Brian Orbacher. For Peter Lingenfelter, Cheryl O'Brien, Ben King, Doris Asepian. For Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bill Getty, Mike Raybuck. For Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Emily Cricklar, and so many others. May your healing grace and power be evident in each of them. We pray, Father, for our homes and ask that whatever our home looks like, may you be at the center. May our homes be, be devoted to you and connected to you. Father, we pray for our tasks that are before us. Some of them we're excited about. Some of them feel like a burden. We pray that you will give us grace in each of them. We pray for our relationships. We ask that you would restore what might be broken. Heal what is not what it should be. And enhance the relationships that are good. Father, we pray for the needs beyond us. We thank, Father, of our nation. We pray for those who continue to recover from tragedies and disasters. And we continue to think about the people and pray for the people in Puerto Rico. Father, we we pray for our world, for places of war that you would bring peace, for refugees who struggled for existence. We pray, Father, for your church around the world. Thank you for the work that Corey and Chris Teed are doing in Haiti. And as they make their way home to the States and travel and, and prepare to go back, we pray that you will, you will enrich their lives and give them energy 
We pray that you will bless their, their reconnections with people here. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Venezuela, many of them undergoing severe hardships. We pray, Father, that for the pastors and the lay people, that they will be courageous in their love and in their compassion in the midst of great difficulty. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in your church right here. We pray today for St. Mark's Catholic Church in Rushford and Father Mancuso. May your grace be upon this body of believers as they serve you and one another in their community. And we pray, Father, for the ministries of our church. We thank you for our youth group. We thank you for every one of the young people in that group and what you have in store for them and plan for them and what you're doing in their lives right now. And we ask, Father, that you will keep them close to you. Help them to know that they are loved by you and by us. As they go through this 30-hour famine, may it be an opportunity for them and for us as a church to really come face-to-face with the needs of our world and your love and compassion for people in need. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. I'm reading to you this morning from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. 2 Peter 3, 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior, through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these same waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, I'd like to dismiss kindergartners through third graders for junior church and two to five-year-olds to children's church. Please stand as we sing together.
There are probably a variety of thoughts that come to your mind when you think about home. But Home is intended to be the place where we feel comfortable. Home is supposed to be the place where you can be yourself. Home is the place where you can eat on the couch if you want to instead of the dinner table. Home is the place where you can wear sweats all around the house all day if you want to. Home is the place where you don't have to worry about trying to be on for people. It's just the place where you, you, you're yourself. You can be yourself. That's what home is supposed to be. And hopefully, that's what home is for us. It's the place where, where we can just be ourselves as we are. There is something about heaven as the place that we have called home. It's the place where where we can be who we are. And the thing about heaven is it, is, it is about what God wants is comfortable there. And it's, and it's where God's will is done and God's purposes are done. And what I find fascinating about that idea is when you get to 2 Peter chapter 3, and you read what he says here, and you get to verse 13, and he says in the, in the New Living Translation, it says, We're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. In NIV it says, it's the place where righteousness dwells. 
And the word translated dwells can also be translated home. It's the place where righteousness is at home. It's comfortable there. It's really because that's what heaven is about. There are all kinds of images that we have of heaven, but one of the things that at the center of it is that it is the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is, in one sense, it is God's will done as it's intended. It's God's purposes accomplished as he intended them. Everything about that existence, that eternal existence, is what God wants, what God desires, what God dreams, God's priorities. Everything about the nature and the essence of God is at home there. And righteousness is about the nature and the essence of God. It is God's will fully realized. It is God's will fully accomplished. In many ways, that is one of the clearest definitions of heaven. And as we think about the definition of righteousness, what we tend to think of as as righteousness, we tend to think of perfection. We tend to think that everything has to be exactly perfect, which is why we tend to not like, we don't like to use that term very much. But really, when you read the scriptures and you think about righteousness, it's not obeying a rule. It's not measuring up to a standard. It is wanting what God wants. It's wanting God's priorities to be our priorities. It's it's wanting God's way to be our way, God's thoughts to be our thoughts, God's purposes to be our purposes. To be righteous is to want everything that God is and everything that God wants. And that's why when Lewis writes in The Great Divorce and he says that there are lots of people who don't want to be in heaven even if they're given the choice because it doesn't offer what they want. Because heaven is about what God wants. It's about the essence of God. And when we think about righteousness in that world... And you listen to the description that Peter gives about, about the heavens and the earth being destroyed. I don't think he means by that that God is going to wipe out everything he's created. He's going to obliterate this planet and start all over. But I do think he's talking about renewal and restoration. And sometimes to renew and to restore, you have to take down what is wrong and rebuild. And I think there is a sense in which the new heaven and new earth, which I don't think is this ethereal place up there somewhere in the skies where we just sort of float around on the clouds. I think it's the renewed and restored creation of God. And it will, much like the, the Garden of Eden, only it will be bigger and greater and grander. And in that place, in the new heaven and the new earth, where we will exist for eternity, all the followers of God, God's will is wanted and done perfectly. And every person who lives there desires it. And that's why when you get to the book of Revelation, and it says there are people who are cast out of it, it's not because God says, I don't want you. It's because they're saying, I don't want you to God. I don't want what you want. That's not what my life is about. My life is about me. My life is about wanting what I want, not what you want. And it's not as though when, when we get to that point, all of a sudden we're going to flip a switch and want something else. 
We're going to want what we've always wanted. And when you think about righteousness, there's almost the sense of, of the Hebrew word shalom. The sense of all things being made right. All things made, being put in, in the right order and in the right place. And there is peace. And in that day, God's good creation that he made. You know, this world that God created and said, that is very good. It will be restored and renewed and it will be even better. The flowers will be more vibrant. The grass and the plants will be lusher. And all of the things that we look at in this world and say that's a good thing will be even better. But ultimately, that, that, that existence of righteousness is, a, is human beings becoming fully human as we were created to be. I'm going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but, but we often think that, that what we call going to heaven, that that existence means that we finally get rid of these bodies that hold us back. We get rid of these bodies that, that ache and these bodies that hurt and these bodies that, that lead us into sin. These bodies that, that are difficult for us. We finally get free of that. But the reality is, it's not that we get free of that. It's just that we will be restored. We will be made fully human as God designed us to be. Because the truth is, when God created Adam and Eve and he made them human beings in his world... He didn't do that as sort of a temporary thing that someday they can get rid of that and really live. The problem was they, their sin created their bodies and their beings to be broken and corrupted. And when they, and sin doesn't make us more human, it makes us less human. The call of God's righteousness is that we will be fully human. Fully as God created us in all the glory of humanity that Scripture talks to us about. But when you think about what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, and he says, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And we keep coming back to that, that we live in this world thinking about that world, thinking about that day. And how do we do that when it comes to righteousness? We become people who want righteousness. And we become people who are agents of righteousness in this broken, needy world. The calling of the church is to be a presence of righteousness in this world. So that because of our presence, people see God. They they see his righteousness. They see God's plans and desires. And we paint a picture of the kingdom of God that that needs to be fixed in most people's minds who reject God. I'm convinced that the primary reason that people reject God is because they don't really know God. And the primary reason you and I struggle with following God is because we have warped, twisted views of God. 
And the call on us as followers of Jesus, as people who have given allegiance to Jesus, is that we create an atmosphere of righteousness in this world. The kind of righteousness that isn't legalistic, the kind of righteousness that isn't about rules, but the kind of righteousness that is about life and joy and love and truth and blessing and fulfillment. Remember Jesus says in John chapter 10 that the thief comes, talking about the sheep, the thief comes to steal steal and kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life abundant. That's the purpose of Jesus coming, to give his people abundant life. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, we want to, God wants to give you the life that is really life. Not this fake stuff that we think about in this world that we think is life, but the real life in Christ. And that's the kind of presence of righteousness that we are to bring into this broken, needy world. I have this image in my mind. I don't know if you've ever seen these commercials, and I can't remember. I have no idea what it's about. You know, a lot of commercials are like that anymore. They get done, I think, wow, that was a really interesting commercial. I have no idea what the product was, but I was, in, but I was entertained by it. But the, there's a commercial I remember seeing where the screen is just filled with a black and white drawing. Just sort of a design all throughout the screen. Just a line drawing of this design in black and white. And whatever the product is talking about, all of a sudden in the middle of this, a little bit of color appears in the bottom corner of the screen. And as the commercial goes on, it begins to spread. And this color begins to spread all throughout the whole screen until by the end of it, this black and white picture is now filled with these vibrant colors of the rainbow. And there is something in my mind that says... That's what ought to happen when disciples of Jesus are involved in this world. That we bring color to a world of drabness. That we bring hope in the midst of despair. That we bring love in a world of hate and violence. That we are a voice and a presence of life in the midst of so much destruction and death. That's our calling. So often we fall short of that. I think it was, I think it was the, the philosopher Nietzsche who said that, that you Christians are going to have to look more redeemed if you want us to ever believe in your Redeemer. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think sometimes we present this image of the gospel that it is not good news. It's restrictiveness and it's legalism and it's rules. When Jesus says, when you know me, you know the truth and the truth sets you free. I read about a woman who who said to some friends, my son feels like he's being called into the ministry. And the response to them was, Oh, but he was such a happy young man. What happened? Again, I think there's truth in that. We have given this image of the kingdom that is not what Jesus gives. 
I mean, Jesus is not, never, not accused by the Pharisees of being strict. He's accused of having too much fun. As I was reading this week, somebody said, are we so arrogant to think that human beings, that we invented fun? No, that's God's idea. The God who created all the things around us. The God who created us in all of our uniqueness and all of our beauty. This is the God who says, I want you to be an influence for me of beauty and righteousness and and love and justice and truth and grace and life in this world that has missed it completely. That's our calling. How do we get to that? I think we have to cross some hurdles. I think, I think there are some obstacles that we live with, probably subconsciously, that we don't even realize that causes us to be less of a witness of, of righteousness than what we are intended to be. I think one of those hurdles is that we need a better understanding of eternal righteousness. I think we have such a flawed view of what what we call what heaven is going to be, what eternal life is going to be, that we don't really see eternal life the way Scripture describes it. And if we don't see eternal life that way, then we're not going to see life now that way. Again, we have this mindset that, that eternal life is going to be probably kind of boring. The, um, the science fiction writer uh, Asimov said that, that he said, I don't believe in the afterlife. And so therefore, I don't have to worry. I don't spend my life fretting about, the, about hell. He said, or heaven for that matter. Because he said, as bad as the tortures of hell may be, the boredom of heaven would be even worse. And we hear that and we go, whoa, man, he doesn't get it. Why does he not get it? Because we haven't told people. Because we have given people the impression that this, of this skewed image. And of course, the, one of the problems with thinking of heaven as this place that's boring is that we're really saying is that God is boring. And what we really are saying then is that sin is exciting. If you really want to enjoy life, then you push God to the margins so you can really live. And we know that's not true. I mean, we know that sin is not exciting. I mean, it is for maybe for a moment. But in the long run, sin's destructive. It's sin that ruins our relationships. It's sin that, that eats us up with guilt and shame. It's sin that causes us to, to destroy our planet. It's sin that causes us to take advantage of people. When we read the paper and we read or listen to the news or whatever, and we see all of the the evils and the crimes of society, that's the result of sin. That's not the result of following God. That's not the result of righteousness. And we need a better view of, of eternal righteousness. There will be no existence more filled with excitement and, and learning and anticipation than eternal, our eternal existence. 
And we need a clearer, better picture of that. And in that day, we will experience the fullness of all that God has created us to experience. We will, in that day, finally experience life as God intended it. It will be the ultimate expression of joy and love and peace and grace and truth. Our relationships will be such we could never have imagined relationships to be so awesome. Our work will have meaning beyond what we could ever have imagined. Our minds will understand things beyond what we could have ever have imagined. And on and on it will go. And until we get a clearer image of that day, we will find it hard to live like that this day. I think we also have to understand that being a presence of righteousness in this world and creating an atmosphere of righteousness is only going to happen if we embrace the mind of Christ. It struck me this week that when you think about Jesus coming into this world, what Jesus really did was leave the place of perfect righteousness in order to create Righteousness in God's creation. Jesus existed in the place where God's will was perfectly done. Where every being in that, in, in that heavenly existence wanted what God wanted. Their priorities were only designed by God's priorities. Every thought was, what, was God's thought. Every desire was God's desire. It was the perfect place of God's righteousness. And Jesus left that. And entered into this world where God's righteous desires are continually abandoned and rejected and tossed aside and misunderstood so that we would gain a clear image of what righteousness really can be. He couldn't do that from a distance. It had to be incarnational. It had to be present with us. And our Influence in this world for righteousness will only happen incarnationally with people. Stepping in to the places where people reject what God wants. Being a presence in places where people don't understand God and don't want God. And trying through God's grace to be a presence of hope and life and color and all the ways of the kingdom. You can't do that from a distance. You can't. You know, as, as one of my professors used to say, there are, only, there, there are a couple things you simply cannot do by correspondence. You cannot learn. He was, a, he was teaching his counseling, and so one of them was counseling and the other was swimming. You can't learn those things by correspondence course. Right? And you can't be a presence of righteousness in this world from a distance. You've got to be in the middle of it. And that's hard. Because we like the safe places. We like the places where we can just, we can just have everything be nice. Everybody's on the same page. Everything is, is good. And we'll just, sort of, we'll just sort of build a fort around us and everything will be perfect. Of course, we all know that inside the fort, it's not perfect. 
But our calling is to be with people, to be incarnational, to be a presence like Jesus. And that will mean our, we cannot live with self-centeredness. We have to live, we have, can't live with self-interest. We have to live self-giving lives. Thinking about others more than ourselves, as Paul describes Jesus in Philippians 2. And I'm convinced that we, we begin to, to cross those hurdles. We begin to see things the way they should be and the way God designed them. We begin to do that when we begin engaging ourselves in the means of grace. The means of grace are historic things that God has given to his people to experience his grace, to make us more prepared to receive God's word to us. The means of grace are things like prayer, corporate prayer and personal prayer. The study and reading of the scriptures personally and corporately. It's worship, committing ourselves to coming together with others and worshiping together. It's fasting. It's giving. It's giving sacrificially. It's serving one another. Opening our lives up to other people and giving of ourselves to people who are in need. It's baptism. It's communion. It's these things that God has given us that, that allow us, put us in a place where we are ready to hear God and to see God and to let God work in us. Sometimes we call them spiritual disciplines. And, and that's fine. I, to me, that's, that's sort of more of a negative term. Means of grace is more of a positive term. But by the means, only when we begin to engage in the means of grace are we able to hear God and to be changed by God. And we do these things not because they're rules, not because God's going to get us if we don't, not because God's going to love us more if we do. There's nothing we can do to, to make God love us more than he does. Absolutely nothing. And there's nothing we can't do to make us love God more or less than he does. These things just help us experience that and hear it and see it. But ultimately, it comes down to having a want to. We can engage ourselves in the means of grace continually, and we can do it because we have to or do it because we want to. And sometimes you do things because it's right, whether you feel like it or not. Deep within us, there is a want to. We have a want to to be righteous. We have a want to to be a presence of righteousness. We have a want to to engage ourselves with God. And all God needs is that want to. To change us. and To work in us and to teach us. And it's amazing how... God can take a want to and do more than we could have dreamed or imagined. In February of 1915, Frank Laubach and his wife arrived on the, in Davao, Mindanao, in the Philippines. They went to be missionaries. The missionaries among people whose lives were full of injustice and, and full of, of despair. Many of the people that he went to were culturally Muslim. 
And they began, they realized after they were there with the people for a while that one of the great problems was literacy. People were completely illiterate. And he realized that if the gospel was going to be spread there, if they were going to hear the gospel, they needed to know, needed to be more literate. And so he started a program of literacy for them. And and as people began to learn, he realized that the best way to teach more people was the people to learn to teach them. Because you know how it is. When you teach, you learn more than probably the people you're teaching. And his motto became, each one teach one. And, and it began to spread, not only in the city where they were in the village, but all throughout the island. And then it jumped to the other islands of the Philippines. And then it began to spread all around the world. And Frank Laubach became famous. In fact, I just realized this week, he's actually on a 30-cent stamp. That's how famous he became. He said that his, the secret to... To his ability to do what he did was that he thought he, he lived his life attempting to think about Jesus every single moment. He said, in those little those little chinks of time in, in our day, those little those little moments of time, some of them are seconds, some of them are minutes. In those moments, we are thinking about Jesus. Anytime our mind has a time to rest, think about Jesus until after a while, you're just thinking about Jesus all the time. And that changes you. Frank Laubach and his wife, through thinking about Jesus, became this presence in the world. Many, many people came to Christ. Frank Laubach died in 1970 at the age of 85. He was buried, and his wife were buried in their hometown of Benton, Pennsylvania. And over their grave is a tombstone that says, World Missionaries. But actually, Frank Laubach is known by most people in the world by the title, Apostle of Literacy. Except in the Congo. His his program and his fame spread from the Philippines all the way to the Congo in Africa. And in the Congo, the nickname they have for him is this. The Mender of Old Baskets. He's the Mender of Old Baskets. And when I read that, I thought to myself, what a beautiful picture of righteousness. That our presence in the world mends things, makes, helps make people whole, helps their lives to flourish, brings about the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. As we think about our lives, what will people say about us? Individually, corporately. Father, we want to thank you for desiring to make us righteous and to be agents of righteousness in your world. Give us a want to. Through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand and receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.
Amen.